Thank you for joining us for this podcast from College Church of the Nazarene, University Avenue. The following was recorded live on location in Bourbonnais, Illinois. Aren't you thankful for the presence of God? I want to say before I start preaching that uh, I love Carl. Carl is an encouragement to me most of the time. I was greeting some folk this morning and he told me, he said, I've got your manuscript here. You better do good. I love you, Carl. (laughs) Our scripture reading this morning is Matthew 13, verses 24 through 30. Now, many of us, uh, we've already read or heard messages on these parables of Jesus. As a matter of fact, Matthew 13 has been the lectionary epistle reading for the last several weeks. Matthew 13 contains seven parables of Jesus. In Matthew 13, 3, Jesus opens with the parable of the sword. We heard Pastor Zach preach so eloquently on that parable last week. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still, other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. The disciples went to Jesus and asked, Why do you speak to us in parables? Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom, and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. So we get a pretty good understanding of what this parable means, right? It focuses mainly on the hearers. Those who hear the word, which is the seed, and does not understand it. This is the seed the evil one came and ripped away. Halford Luckock, a Methodist minister and professor of homiletics at Yale University said, whatever is kept on the surface of life will be snatched away. 
This describes the one that heard the word but did not understand it. He had no comprehension of it. Then, the one who received the seed that fell on rocky ground is the one who hears the word and receives it with joy, but because he has no roots, it only lasts a little while. This person responds with emotional excitement, but when they are, are, when they are offended or face persecution or trials, they quickly wilt away and die. The third other one sown among the thorns. This is the one that hears the word. They receive the message and are saved. But the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. Dr. Ralph Earl says that these two things, the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth, choke the word out. Our lives become so overcrowded with things, listen to this, our lives become so overcrowded with things until God consciousness is choked out. Jesus then comes to the one that received the seed that fell on good soil. Verse 23, he hears the word, he understands it, he produces crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Then Jesus turns his attention to the parable of the weeds. This particular parable is only found in Matthew's gospel. It's probably placed after the parable of the sower because both of them have to, do, have to deal with sowing wheat. It begins with the farmer going out to sow good seed in the field, but then another thing or person enters the picture, the farmer's enemy. The enemy came and sowed weeds among the grain. This word picture would have been familiar to Jesus' hearers. You see, the weeds Jesus talked about were commonly known as tares. And tares were one of the curses that farmers, farmers had to constantly deal with. In the early stages of their growth, they so closely resembled the wheat, it was impossible to tell them apart. His servants went to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling up the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. After, at that time, I will tell the harvesters, first, collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. We'll come back to this parable in a few minutes. The next parable in Matthew 13 is that of the mustard seed. 
uh, the picture is that of a tiny seed being sown into the ground and growing into a massive tree large enough for the birds to live in its branches. Then there's the parable of the hidden treasure in verse 44, which was not part of our reading for today, but it is worthy of noting. It is said that in, in ancient times, in many places where there were no banks, people would hide their money in the ground. I'm going to stop right here for a minute. This reminds me of uh, a family member of uh, ours, closely related to my wife, <laughs> who would wrap money in aluminum foil and hide it in the freezer. That was really, literally cold hard cash. I, dig I digress. Jesus told of a man that found such a treasure, took it, and hid it again until he could raise the money to go back and buy the field where he hid it. To that parable, he tacked on the short parable of the pearl of great price, as it used to be called. The same outcome, he went, sold everything he had, and bought it. Then verses 47 through 50 gives us the parable of the net. The picture of this parable is that of a fisherman casting a net and catching, listen to this, all kinds of fish. That's important. All kinds of fish. It goes on to talk about the fisherman pulling the catch in, pulling, putting the good fish in baskets and throwing the bad fish away. This, Jesus said, is how it will be at the end of the age. Here, and in Matthew 13, 24 through 30, are found only in Matthew, and they both teach the same lesson. So, let's stop here for the time being and go back to verses 24 through 30. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. While everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, do you want us to go pull them up? No, he answered. Because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds, tie them in bundles to be burned, and then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. From 1956 until about 1968, there was a popular TV show on TV hosted by, well, I guess it's a TV show. It would be on TV, wouldn't it? Yeah, there's conversations going in my head all the time. But it was hosted by Bob Collier. It was called To Tell the Truth. Any of you remember the TV show? During the show, a celebrity figure and two imposters tried to fool a panel of four celebrities into voting 
for the two imposters. Now you get the picture. There were three people. One was the real person. Two were imposters. The point of the game is for the imposters to make the celebrities think that they were the real person. Okay? As the show comes on, three challengers are introduced behind a scrim where you can see nothing but a silhouette of them. And all of them claim to be the central character. The announcer typically asks the contestants who stand side by side, contestant number one, what is your name, please? My name is Snooze. Contestant number two, what is your name, please? My name is Snooze. Contestant number three, what is your name, please? My name is Snooze. The celebrity panelists then read along as the host reads a signed affidavit about the central characters. The panelists are each given a period of time to question the challengers, and they question them by calling their numbers, okay? The central character was sworn to tell the truth. When he was asked the question, he had to tell the truth. The others were permitted to lie and pretend to be the central character. After the questioning was complete, each member of the panel votes on which of the challengers he or she believes to be the central character, either by writing the number on a card or holding up a card with the number of their choice without consulting the other panelists. Once the votes are in, the host then says, will the real snooze please stand up? And there be some fake standing up and down, you know, everybody's still trying to fake everybody out. And then the real snooze would stand. The imposters were then given the opportunity to reveal their real names and their actual occupations. Now, if you were anything like me, and you can say praise the Lord that you're not. <laughs> Brad? Wow. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out who the real snooze is just by looking at them and just by listening to the questions. But you know, it's difficult to figure someone out just by looking at them because things are not always what they seem. I would look at each contestant and try to figure out who was who and you know, you might look at one contestant and think, well, they look like they get plenty of sleep, so they can't be snooze. I mean, they're, they're all over the place. Or you may look at one of the contestants and think, man, they were half asleep the whole time the questions were being asked. That has to be snooze. Or you might think, well, she came in her pajama bottoms. That has to be snooze. But most of the time, we would guess wrong. 
Because things are not always what they seem. Let's go back to our scripture focus for today. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull it up? No. Because while you're pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds, tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Now I would like to focus on verses 28 through 30. When the servants ask him, do you want us to go pull them up? No, I don't. Because while you're pulling up the weeds, you might uproot the wheat with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I'll tell the har- I will tell the harvesters. First collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Now, Brad, you don't have to amen this. You're probably not like me. I've read this passage many times. And I thought I understood what Jesus was saying. But there's a part of this parable that I had never seen until recently. You see, it's not what it always looks like. I understood that the farmer was God, okay? Or the son of man. I understood that the seed was the word. I understood that the hearer was us or those the word is preached to. But I totally missed Jesus saying, you do not have the right to determine who's in and who's out. Because it's not what it looks like. Well, I didn't read that anywhere. Where does it say that? It's right there, verses 28 and 30. The servants ask him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, because while you're pulling up the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. In the book that Pastor Zach referred to last week, Windows and Mirrors, Dr. Bowling points out that in this story there are two sores. I kind of missed that too, quite honestly. There's the man that sows good seed in the field, but while his workers are sleeping, the man's enemy comes and sows weeds among the wheat. In verse 37, Jesus identifies the one who sowed the good seed as the son of man. Verse 38 says the weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the one who sows them is who? Is the devil. Now, if you've been a believer 
for any length of time, you already know that Christ's kingdom does not go unopposed. Paul writes in Ephesians 6.12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The Christian life, as Dr. Bolden pointed out in his book, is lived in a war zone. If you are a believer in Jesus, you are in a war zone. We will not live this life, this Christian life, unopposed by the enemy. There's always a hostile power looking for and waiting to destroy the good seed. Both influences, good and bad, act upon our lives. This particular parable teaches us that it is hard to tell the difference between those who are in the kingdom and those who are not. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds, tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. We as believers... We sometimes think that it's our responsibility to decide who's in and who's out. Several years ago when I traveled with a Southern Gospel Quartet, you know it's the one I told you about that hit a bear with the bus and uh, all of us got out of the bus to go look for the bear with nothing but a pocket knife between us, same quartet. What I didn't tell you is in the group we had a piano player that was very, how can I put it, um, charismatic. What I didn't tell you is when we hit the bear, Tim, the piano player, began running down the hallway of the bus, shouting and speaking in tongues after we hit the bear. He was extremely charismatic. One Sunday morning, um, after a, a service, the manager of the group decided to treat us to a, a steak dinner. So we stopped at a, one of the high-dollar steak restaurants in town. I think it was either Ponderosa or Golden Corral. It was one of As we sat down, a family walked in that appeared to be of a charismatic persuasion. They looked the part. You know what I'm saying? Um, let me explain. They were all dressed in suits and dresses, even the children. They looked so cute. But the mother had a long dress on with ruffle sleeves, you know. She had her hair up in a bun. 
The dad had solid black hair that was slicked back. When Tim saw him come in, he went nuts. Oh, she's got it. She's got it. Oh, can you feel it? She's got it. She's got it. About that time, the mother turned her head where we could see her face. And there was a cigarette about two feet long (laughs) hanging from her lips. Tim's expression changed a little bit when he saw that. You see, it's not always what it looks like. Sometimes we are too quick with our judgments. If the servants had had their way, they would have pulled up the weeds, and the own result is they would have torn up some of the wheat as well. Let me ask you a question this morning. Who is it that you think is not a part of the kingdom? What do they look like? Who has messed up in their lives so royally that you think there's no way God will let that person into his heavenly kingdom? I need to warn you this morning. Be careful. Matthew 7, 2 says, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. The truth of the matter is, none of us is worthy to be counted as being in. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No person who only sees a part of a person's life can judge the whole of a person's life. Just as Dr. Bowling said, the main point of application here is a warning against trying to separate the wheat from the weeds in our own power. Just as the owner prohibited his servants from pulling up the weeds, it is not our role to judge other people. That is God's privilege alone. Just as the harvesters separate the weeds from the wheat at the end of the story, God will determine who is truly good and who is truly evil at the final judgment. You see, within any of us, there's the possibility to be weeds or wheat. Mr. Rogers used to say, have you ever noticed that the very same people who are good sometimes are the very same people who are bad sometimes? It's good to remember in the end, everyone, I like this, everyone in the end is going to be in a bundle. There will be a burn bundle 
and there will be a barn bundle. We don't get to decide. God alone decides. Jesus said, let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters first, collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. As we prepare to go to receive communion, I'd like for us, would you stand with me? I'd like for us to read responsibly this scripture. And I'd like for you to read it in a prayerful, with a prayerful heart. Search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there is any offensive way in me. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. Create in me a pure heart, O oh God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O oh Lord. I rock. Amen. You may be seated. The Lord himself ordained this holy sacrament. He commanded his disciples to partake of the bread and wine, emblems of his broken body and shed blood. This is his table. The feast is for his disciples. Let all those who have with true repentance forsaken their sins and have believed in Christ unto salvation draw near and take these emblems and by faith partake of the life of Jesus Christ to your soul's comfort and joy. Let us remember that it is the memorial of the death and passion of our Lord. Also a token of his coming again. Let us not forget that we are one at one table with the Lord. We're reminded in the same night that our Lord was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it, gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, after supper, he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Would you take the elements? 
share it with those in your row. The body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is broken for you, preserve you blameless unto everlasting life. Take and eat this in remembrance that Christ died for you. The blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was shed for you, preserve you blameless unto everlasting life. Drink this in remembrance that Christ's blood was shed for you and be thankful. Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful today that we get to sit at the table with brothers and sisters all over the world and partake of your blood and your body. I pray, God, that you would help us to get beyond our judgmental ways from time to time and that you would help us to love as Jesus would love. That you would help us to give as Jesus would give. That you'd help us to do as Jesus would do. To be as Jesus would be. Thank you for allowing us to share together in the supper of our Lord. Amen. You've been listening to a podcast from College Church of the Nazarene, University Avenue. If you care to join us for worship, we meet each Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. at 200 University Avenue in Bourbon A, Illinois. We also offer a full range of activities, classes, small group meetings, and events throughout the week. For a complete list of what's going on at College Church or for more information on how you can get involved, please go to www.collegechurch.org.